You're now listening to the Something Good Podcast Network. Please press any key to continue. A kiss, as defined by Dan Webster, is something pleasing, a caress, a gentle touch. But there's another kiss that isn't in Webster's. Hey world, we're kids! Some critics say they don't make music, they just make noise. Yeah, kiss! Kiss implies the extreme in the theatrics on stage, utilizing fire and smoke and bizarre costumes and the ever-consistent, constant concealment of their true identities. Speaking of which, Kiss is going to have its own comic book soon. Take Kiss with you. It's fun. Show your friends and be the first. Now. Welcome. <laughs> oh god damn it <laughs> I don't know what got me tickled there I was about to say why is it I smoke and y'all get high yeah really <laughs> welcome once again to no time to turn a kiss nerd podcast nerds oh yeah <laughs> Gene on the last one I'm doing Paul on this one alright as always I'm with uh, Cap and Alex from the something good for you network yo yo what's up check out the network and all the other goodies they got going on across the network the network the SGN network <laughs> yes you're listening actually, to actually just be SGN there we go SGN to SGN the something good network ESPN of just useless trivia. <laughs> what the fuck does the E and S stand for? ESPN. Uh, I, you know, every, I don't want to know. I don't care. It's a rhetorical question. I just don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Welcome once again to No Time to Turn. We're tracking. We're just rambling is what we're doing. Uh, tracking the history of Kiss album by album, year by year. Uh, we are now going to examine the Crazy Nights era. Wow! Yeah. I had people now listen. Listen. People no try one's... to take my soul away. <laughs> no one's ever going to change me. Because <laughs> that's who I am. That's who he is. We're going we're gonna to examine all of this. We're examining the relic of um, yeah. of the of the uh, Crazy Nights era. Now, this has been the longest separation of time between two kiss albums i think ever am i wrong on that i, I believe up to this point i mean definitely. even even in the late 70s when there was a, a length of time between love gun and dynasty they still had what six albums mm-hmm. come out in that two-year stretch yeah so even though it may have not been new original material they well, still they did had the, the solo, solo albums, albums. Double platinum and alive too. Yeah. So here they've gone full two years. We'll we'll explain well, why here yeah. shortly. Um, they have become keenly aware of the commercial success of young, younger, hard rock acts, Def Leppard, Bon Jovi, who are I think they share the label with mm-hmm. their label mates. I just wanted to say label mates. <laughs> uh, this, and you know they're they're. Um, he, he he Paul I think is the primary you know he's he is, he's the captain of the ship solidly at this point we've discussed mm-hmm. this on the previous episode by far and it's his decision I think that you know the band needs with shades of the elder they need a really 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 big comeback album oh yeah 
And to achieve this, they need an A-list producer capable of helping create these giant hit singles Yes, that will take them from being merely a platinum band, but to a multi-platinum. Why don't you guys just write a hit song? Yeah. <laughs> well, this is, this is the attitude, but they need to get... They, it's not enough that they've sold a million copies of... Well, they didn't sell a million copies of Asylum. It didn't even go with platinum. But it's not enough that uh, Animalize has even gone platinum. They're looking at everyone else, and they're like, well, yeah, we're selling a million copies, but, man, we're not selling 10 and 12 million copies like, like everyone are. else. <laughs> yeah, Boston has just made a huge comeback. Out of left field, no one saw that coming at all. And then to tie it to who they uh, wind up working with, Hart makes a huge comeback. Well, that's my point. They choose Ron Nevison. And Ron Nevison has an impressive track record. He's uh, He had engineering credits for no less than The Who and Led Zeppelin. Yep. Uh, material that wound up as physical graffiti. Uh, and then he engineered the, the Who's Quadrophenia album, which is, in my opinion... The, the better rock opera, the best album they ever did. Ooh, that's love, a whole podcast in itself. Yeah, I, I love the Who, though. I mean, I really fucking love the Who. Um, he had production credits for Thin Lizzy's Nightlife. Yep, and a lot, some people call that their cocktail album, but I love it. I love I Thin too. Lizzy. I mean, Thin Lizzy was a, such a great underrated band. Barely mm. any stinkers, if there were any. And he produced all the classic Michael Schenker era UFO. And that's a band that I slept on for way too long. Anyone that likes, especially even 70s Kiss, like I'm a, an avowed 70s Kiss nerd, I think would really appreciate UFO. Yeah, just good classic 70s hard rock, big yeah, guitars. If you're just a fan of just good, solid hard rock music, especially that Michael Schenker stuff, they made two albums prior to that that are really good too. It's different, but it's really good. I think they suffered kind of the same fate as Kiss as they transitioned into the 80s. I don't think they lost their identity as much, but once they lost Michael Schenker, that whatever that chemistry was, the combustion that made those records so great, yeah. because Michael Schenker didn't take it with him to his solo thing, no. and UFO weren't able to take it with them to continue as UFO. You know, and I mean, I'm not knocking the UFO of the 80s, but man, there's just something about those records, right? And, and you know, I'm not going to put that on Ron Nevison though, but I mean, I'm just trying to give you an idea of where, where he comes from. He had really highly successful, commercially successful, which is important, commercially yeah. successful, successful albums with some really big names in the 80s, Survivor. Jefferson Starship. Yep. He produced Ozzy's Ultimate Sin record, which mm -hmm. was considered a bit of a comeback because I guess Bark of the Moon had been a letdown. I don't know. And then most importantly and most notably, uh, he was behind the giant comeback album for Heart. What about love and all that yeah. all that stuff? And and so um He's in high demand. So Paul decides that's who's going to be the Svengali that's going to bring Kiss to that same level. Yep. Kiss is going to make a record. They're going to go out on tour for two years and they're going to sell 12 million copies because they're fucking Kiss and we're going to have, we've got the combination. This is going to do it. This is going to bring us back. Right. You know, because the band's in debt. Their, their, their managers at Glickman Marks are, are using everything in their power to shoestring a budget together and to keep them kind of viable, especially in this period because there's no income. Mm -hmm. Um, um, but they're looking at Ron Nevison, and they're going to wait and for Ron. his schedule to clear so they can work for him. And this creates, the, like I said, a, a full two-year gap between 
the Asylum album in this. And uh, was it Ron originally also looked at for a Paul seventy eight solo record? He was, yeah, he was mm-hmm. he was on the on the short list, I guess. Yeah. Um, now it is interesting to note that in the seventies they were turning two albums in a year. Yeah, albums of a higher quality and longer lasting resonance, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's my opinion. I think it's I mean, absolute track. I mean, I mean, we look at it; that's what we're talking. I mean, about. even in like what a short ten years from now, that would even kind of prove to be the case. They put the makeup back on, and start everything, playing those classic everything songs. Everything that this band does is built off of that so i'm not wrong in saying that um <laughs> the ticket sales aren't wrong either yep so we're in a position now though there's no income coming in and all of a sudden what happens peter decides to cash out on his partnership as we talked about he's retained a, a share of partnership in some degree and he has to be paid off yeah they figure out a way to do that to make him go away now they own Peter's makeup, just like they own Ace's makeup, which is why they can continue to use that. Well, they don't own Ace's yet, do they? Yeah, they do. I think they do. I thought his was a little been a later. contention of debate, but from my understanding that when he bailed out in 82, that he just sold out wholesale. Now, he claims different. Who knows? So, But this, I'm going to side with Kiss on that because it makes more sense logically. I mean, I, why, would, why would they let him walk away with that when they just got that well at i mean that peter time, walked away with it well he and, did and peter walked away first yeah well i don't think anyone saw the value in it at that point no but but the only reason i kind of want to say that ace retained it longer is if you look at the kiss my ass tribute yeah, they, album right, cover they didn't use it yeah they used peter's peter's was on the forefront like his was like the most visible and you could see gene and paul's makeup but then they did like some weird uh sideways triangle thing it's, for it's, what it Aces looked, like, would have it looked been. like it was paul's bandit makeup it, it, um, yeah you're right it kind of did that's what it was. i don't know i'm just uh i'm, and just, I'm just thinking <laughs> if they own the rights why in the world wouldn't they have done it? either way they're in trouble financially here oh bad. yeah they're in bad shape um vinnie poncia uh also claims he's owed money and they almost got litigation for it for unpaid royalties for the work that he did for the two albums that he did with them they you know and yeah but they weren't that successful were they dynasty was was. owed money yeah okay yeah you're right he (laughs) he has he has them audit their books and then you know they audit the audit or some nonsense i don't know they didn't want to go they didn't want they wanted and what's interesting here is they wanted to maintain a relationship with this guy and they didn't want to go into litigation with them. So they eventually negotiated an agreement that made everybody happy. Yeah. But I think it's interesting to note that they didn't want to piss off Vinnie Poncia. Yeah. Because maybe they would have brought him back. Mm. Who knows? Um, they never do. But it's interesting to think that they, they rather, than, rather than dig in and go to the mattresses and say, you know, no, we'll fight for it. They don't. They pay them off. Yeah. Um, but meanwhile, Glickman Marks are going to have to work magic to scramble up funds, secure loans, sell off investments, anything they can to shoestring the budget for the band to exist another year while they're not doing anything. Cause there's no tour income. There's no album income. You know, asylum has stalled. It's over. Everything is over. What are they doing? They're going to wait. And there's going to be a full 20 months before tours. So it's, you know, it's not business as usual, but it's business as usual. And the fact that Kiss seems to think that they can do whatever the fuck they want to do. Yep. 
Um, and, and it is interesting in this time. Isn't this the era in which Paul started doing his own solo band for yeah, a little bit? Or I was that was directly later, after? after way yeah. later. Okay. Uh, well, Gene he, was definitely enjoying himself. Yeah. <laughs> what Paul is doing at this point is he is lobbying for acting work. Mm-hmm. Now, he likes to shoot rubber bands at Gene for the same thing, but it was a priority one with Howard Marks, who is essentially is their manager at this point. Mm-hmm. They're self-managed, I guess, but, you know, whatever. And it's funny. I did run across that earlier this week, just reading different sites and stuff. I ran across, like, his different little small cameo roles and, like, him trying to do little things. And I'm sitting here going, I was like, huh. He never mentions this. He never talks about it. He Ever. auditioned. He auditioned for a Broadway musical. That was his thing. Was Broadway the theater? Yeah, but I mean, he auditioned. All he talks about is Phantom, though. He, but he auditioned for, and, and this is years. This is tw- not twenty years, but I mean, this is what close to fifteen years before he do that. So we're talking. This is a whole different era here. He auditioned for a Broadway musical. I think it was a. Um, a musical of the Three Musketeers. Oh wow! <laughs> I can't even say that with a straight face. It's like say, at least with Phantom barely, of the Opera. That's like kind of cool. Yeah. But I mean, whatever. I don't know. He has readings scheduled with Hollywood directors. I saw uh, in one of the books uh, someone named. I guess he had a meeting with William Friedkin, who directed The Exorcist mm-hmm. and The French Connection. And uh, if you're a movie nerd, my favorite William Friedkin movie is a movie called Sorcerer, which is not a sword and sorcerer movie. It's about uh, these rogue criminals that take jobs high, uh, transferring nitroglycerin across a whatever. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good fucking movie. It's yeah. a good, it's a good fucking it's movie. A good movie. It's a good yeah. movie. Uh, to that end, anyway, the band now signs with. Uh, CAA Creative Art Artists Agency. So they've switched booking agencies essentially four times in six years. They've gone from ATA to ICM back to ATA. I think ATA gets bought out by ICM. I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> and now Who's they go on to, first? Yeah, now they go to CAA. And all of this, though, particularly in this time, the reason why they swing back and forth, the reason why they even went to ICM to begin with, was because. They had Hollywood connections. Mm-hmm. Both members of Kiss, the only two members there are in the band, the duo that is Kiss, which we've talked about in the <laughs> other episodes. Kiss is a duo. They are not a band. The duo of Kiss, both of them have aspirations beyond and outside exceeding Kiss. They mm-hmm. want to be, they want to make it as actors. It just doesn't happen for Paul. Period. No. Period. Which is what I find interesting because you you watch both Gene and Paul in interviews and like outside of like maybe the late nineties, early two thousands when it feels like Gene finally started being comfortable in interviews, he would always seem just kind of like almost caveman-y, bulldog in a tutu kind of vibe trying to do an interview. But Paul ate it up. He would enjoy the camera, but like it felt like Gene was trying to figure out the camera. So it's odd that Gene kept getting the roles, but someone like Paul that was artistic and enjoyed the camera wasn't. I, I, who knows? And I would read uh, and listen to takes from Paul and Gene about how uh, Paul would put in the work for uh, going to auditions and learning the craft, whereas, mm-hmm. you know, in his words, Gene would just you know, walk into a meeting or walk onto a set or wherever he had to do, he would just show up and get a role here and there too. Yeah. Well, I think part of that had to do with just high visibility. Who was the most recognizable character in Kiss? Yeah. 
Yeah, and I could see how Paul's kind of now feeling a little stressed on that because he even kind of mentioned he goes it wasn't me sharing the spotlight anymore it was my spotlight it was his spotlight on stage but Mm -hmm. he's jealous as fuck obviously because because he never talks about his failure to make inroads even though they were working i mean chris lent in his book talks about this at length they worked hard to get this to happen for him up to including switching to caa Mm -hmm. that was essentially primarily for paul because Gene had already had a, a certain level of, of success with the Hollywood thing. Yeah. Not Paul big, but not, he at least no, kind of popped his head in a few places going, hi. And, <laughs> you know, and honestly, if you go back, like a movie like Runaway, it's it's a little hammy. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. But he got pretty good notices for that. Yeah. He got considered, Gene said, they were talking about Gene. Gene got considered and I think was even offered the part as the lead bad guy in a James Bond movie. Which is pretty <laughs> I, I big. feel like he brought that up, but I kind of chalked that up to just genisms. No, no. That's, that's legit. And he had to turn it down. Um, you know, whereas Paul Stanley, I think the best that they're coming up with him is him playing like, you know, cameo roles as mm-hmm. a rock star. Yeah, that's the one thing I've ran mm. across. Um, I don't know. Anyway. They're, uh, very interesting time period for the band. It's a though. very interesting time period because th- there's so much downtime. There's so much going on, and it's like, uh, what um, do they do during the downtime? What what do these new versions of Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley do when they can't do Kiss for uh, the moment? Well, on top of uh, <laughs> movie roles, Gene's producing acts like Black and Blue yeah, and, and bands like that. Mm-hmm. I never listened to that. Me neither. He I produced just, uh, Wendy Williams. Mm-hmm. Uh, have listened to that um so they're 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 doing things but none of it seems really high profile i mean keel the window yeah, williams not. i i mean you know window williams in particular a cult act very deep very loyal following oh yeah it's not like not he's so much for bon, keel yeah it's not like he's producing bon jovi or anything yeah. like that and honestly in a weird way it feels like because of the kiss community windio has a little bit more notoriety because the kiss world is so big that it kind of helps shine that light on such a cult pop artist and and what the plasmatics did were so over the top theatrically Mm -hmm. it's it's very memorable i and i I find it just interesting in a cool way not a bad way but i find it interesting that like kiss was kind of attracted to that well, or Gene was, yeah. you know what I mean. Well, I think we all know why Gene was attracted to There's that. Two reasons. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, thumbs up. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> um, album is finally recorded in the spring of 1987, and again, the master plan here is to produce a massive hit album that will sell millions and millions and millions of copies, supported by a full two-year world tour. Some working titles for this album. The one that was pushed the most in the time that it was being produced mm-hmm. that I remember was Who Dares Wins. Yes. Yeah. Which military slogan was? Is that- I don't know. I don't know where it came from. See, Apparently, the-, the story as I understood it is... There's a song. Eric Carr brought that to the band, and it and apparently that was a working title. Another title that they considered, and I've seen this written correctly and incorrectly. This is this is this will just show you how... I mean, this this is Spinal Tap. Okay, mm-hmm. 120% Spinal Tap. They considered calling the album Condemnation. Yeah, Not I read condemnation, that too. Condemnation, Condemnation. Yeah. 
I <laughs> like a not, play on the word. Har, I know. Har, har. I had not heard that one. Condemnation. There is a fine line. Between stupid and clever and kiss always seems to fall on the line on one side of the line and it's never the clever side. Nope. <laughs> um, Paul feels that Gene songs were written by someone else with Gene putting his name on them. Again. <laughs> the, the inference, I guess, is that Bruce is primarily responsible for Gene's songs, but who knows. And they record this in, uh, what I, you know what? I've lost my information here. I don't know if y'all have it. It's recorded in California, whereas the previous album, they had returned to Electric Lady, but now they're working with Ron Nevison. And obviously, Nevison has studios that he enjoys working in, and he uses so, them all, apparently. Yeah, I think yeah. there's multiple studios used for three this. Three of them. Yeah, three. Uh, so we've got uh, Can-Am Recorders and Tarzana, One-on-One in Hollywood, and Rumbo in Los Angeles. I don't think I've heard of any of these places. Rumbo is the only one that has a link up in mm-hmm. uh, Wikipedia. What you got there? Uh, notable artists that have recorded there include Megadeth, Guns N' Roses, Fleetwood Mac, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Roy Orbison, Stone Temple Pilots, Ario Speedwagon, Smashing Pumpkins. Okay. The list so, goes on and on. So not necessarily a lightweight studio. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think any of them would be. I think if, if it's Ron Nevison, he, like I said, he's been a very successful commercial producer. Mm-hmm. He's got them in his places. Um, do y'all want to go ahead and start tracking this here? Let's do it. Uh, yeah, let's title do it. track, Crazy, Crazy Nights. I mean, we started uh, quoting it immediately at the top of the episode. I like it. Now, I will say, yes, the the lyrics can be a bit silly. Corny. Yeah, corny. Corny is a good word. It's not cheesy. It's not dumb. It's just a bit corny. But you know what? It's kind of a better take than what we've gotten out of the last few records like if like if we've got to get a conquer the world you are my people you are my crowd this is my music we love it loud honestly they don't say we love it loud that would be too much of a concession to gene they say we like it loud i always heard love i noticed that straight away i was like they should have said love yeah, that but, would have been a nod to themselves, but they see, don't. That's, honestly, and I that's always what took I thought that as was. a rubber band. Oh, I always shit. T- he says we like it loud. I never understood that. I agree with you. I think this is a decent pop rocker. Yeah, and it. But to me, this isn't far off from the direction of the latter era of the classic Kiss, meaning Dynasty Unmasked. This seems like it's part of that progression. Right. Mm-hmm. It makes sense to Just, me. This whole album feels like that to me this is where if that band had continued in that direction they would have still landed in the same spot okay russ without i'm not i'm not interested what the lyrics say there dude i'm interested in listening to the actual i'm pulling up lyrics and it says we love it loud it's we like it (laughs) also uh something interesting uh songwriting wise is that uh a lot more uh contributions by adam mitchell on this one than uh including this title track than in uh the last album i don't think he was involved in uh asylum at all but adam mitchell comes back in a big bad way on this record yeah um but this seems like a progression mm-hmm. of where they were at uh and this track as a single was a big hit in the in the uk and has reaching as high as number four on the uk charts which is which is interesting um but I don't think this is a bad song. It's not It's not my favorite Kiss song, but of the 80s output, mm-hmm. you know, I think this sounds closer to a classic Kiss kind of vibe. And, you-, you know, I think I, I can see them landing in the same spot 
even if they had, you know, if they had skipped the elder creatures of the night animalized in asylum. Mm-hmm. I remember the uh, the key change on the second chorus always messing with me when I was younger. I'm like, why do they do that so soon? And then go back to the original key for the, you know, the, the third part and then doing the key change again on the, man. I know it, but it's like, <laughs> felt like a little soon for it, you know? Uh, second song, I'll Fight Hell to Hold You. Uh, dips yeah. down a little bit for me at this point. Uh, this, okay, here's what I got. Paul Stanley is developing this formulaic songwriting style that copies other people's ideas. Where you know, we've talked about him being a stylist, he's always been good at this, but now it's like I'm hearing him. It's like he's trying to copy other people's ideas, but now he's instead of stylizing them and making them Paul Stanley songs, he's doing those songs. He's just doing mm-hmm. a rip like this. I can hear. I hear an influence of. Kenny Loggins' Danger Zone. Yeah. I think he even says we're in the danger zone in this song. And maybe that's what tips me off. This is montage music. And Paul has fallen into this rut that that's what he writes. He writes music that's basically montage music. It's at the same level as these disposable soundtrack, film soundtrack montage songs. Mm -hmm. You know? And I'm surprised that none of this ever got picked up because I can see any one of these songs on this album being the montage music in Top Gun. Yeah, or Karate or, Kid. Or in, yeah, or in Rocky Five or yeah. whatever movie's out at that time. We're going to do it. And, and All I'll of the fight synths. hell to hold you, you know. Very synth heavy. Yeah, and, and but they're not really, it's not, it's not that it's, I don't know what's good about this song. Yeah. I, I will say at the very top of this, I actually am a fan of Crazy Nights. Like out of all the non-makeup records, this is the one I can honestly go back to and listen to a little bit more. I just feel like there's a little bit more quality. This song is not one of them. What do you got? Anything? I got nothing on that. I mean, I think it's the the skipper. I mean, the, yeah, well, well, in the context of the rest of these these kiss records i've been playing to death in my car and headphones in the last few weeks <laughs> this next is definitely song. my bottom three next song uh, as much as i th- hate how stupid it is i could not stop singing it at all this week the song is called bang bang you <laughs> bang bang you Fuck, fuck me. (laughs) (laughs) Love Gun Part (laughs) 2? No, because we all discussed that. I think that was kind of an unusual move. I think we all decided Love Gun was like one of the weakest tracks on the Love Gun album. Mm -hmm. But even says on the song, I'm going to shoot you with my Love Gun, baby. Yeah, (laughs) I'll shoot you down with my Love Gun, baby. If this is Love Gun Bar Two, it's not. It's like that sequel. It's like it's like The Exorcist to the The Exorcist, and only <laughs> we Texas decided Chainsaw that we two? didn't like Love Gun that good. Hey, Texas Chainsaw Two. No, I like two Texas Chainsaw Two. <laughs> this song just fucking okay, sucks. This this song has the same problem. I forget the other song from Asylum I mentioned. Take out all the lyrics. It's a good song. The music is cool. I like the music a lot. It feels exciting. It's a fun guitar riff. For everything this album is trying to achieve, this song achieves it, except for the lyrics. 
The lyrics are horrible. I cannot defend that. There's a lot of but horrible lyrics on this album. There, there's a lot of bad lyrics, especially on this song. But again, I don't know. I have a weird infinity with this record. And again, Cap, you were even saying you catch yourself singing this song. Uh-huh. Part of it is the catchiness of the rhythm of the guitars. Like The music itself is actually good. That's my defense. And but, Cap, your opinion? Uh, it's trash. Wrong! <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, it is trash. <laughs> yeah. I was about to say, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I was going to say, it's bad no matter what you say. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fun. Tra- it's fun, but it's trash. This is like watching the Jerry Springer show. Wrong! It's not fun. It's just It's like watching Jerry Springer. You're just like, God, I wouldn't want to be a part of this, but I'm still watching it. And this is one of the few that gets a Desmond Child uh yeah, credit. <laughs> He's not on this record a whole lot, oddly enough. No, no, no. Let me guess, you agree. Uh, well, I what? haven't said anything. <laughs> before I before I go into my opinion of this song. All right. Let's hear uh, what y'all got. I think this is a very it feels it, it, this sounds like a hot mess. It feels like they did this in one take, and they were just like, "Nah, eh, good enough." And in, well, interestingly, it's the first Gene song we get, and it's four tracks in. Usually, yeah. he gets song two or three. So it is interesting that he's all the way fourth on the record. And in my opinion, this sounds like they were getting into the studio to record "Crazy Nights." And they were like, all right, Bruce, Eric, go ahead and give me some sounds so we can kind of get like the board right. You know, all three of us here have been in the recording studio. We know that process. Well, you know what? While they were getting everything checked in the studio, they just went ahead and pressed record. Yeah. And then Gene was like, huh, I can put lyrics on top of this. Yeah. That's the impression that, that's I get really too. what it feels like. It sounds like they're just jamming, getting tones right. And then they just put lyrics to it. Because like the bass is kind of like off here and there too with the... I don't know. It sounds it almost almost sounds like they try to go for the hot for teacher vibe, but well, that's, didn't pull that, it off. That at the front, uh, you know, with Bruce trying to be that guy, yeah, mm-hmm. which is what was required. But this is my favorite song on the album. Really? Absolutely. Really? By far. By far. By okay, far. Explain. Explain. Because it's just a tight, powerful little rocker. It's not tight. That's the, my problem well, with it. Well, but that, but you know, if if it's it's tight but loose, if you want to use the, right. the Led Zeppelin vernacular, it's, a, it's also a very interesting it's, song it's, for Gene. It's it's got a drive. It's got an energy and an intensity. Uh, I like that there's a part where in the uh, pre-chorus where they're still playing fast, but the vocal melody slows kind of over the top. I like, um, I just think it's a strong song. And I think this could have been the opening song. And I will say it works good. It's a good live song. Cause I've oh, seen it, fucking really seen it works good as, a, as what it is. I, it's the most rocking song on this album. But Nothing to me, it just felt like a jam song. Close. It it's, didn't just feel like a, that's what I meant by the, you know, setting up in the studio and I just pressing record. Yeah, I think this is the best song on the album, but that's, again, Gene trying to it's be just the, a, uh, it's just, I think it's cause it's just a powerful, hard rocking song. Again, spiritually, it, ha- it, it, it seems to descend from, some of their more rocking material from the 70s and this is where they do things really really well i mean we've talked about kiss being a pop band and this the reason why this album i think has hit both of y'all going back and revisiting it is because it plays into the, again their strength mm-hmm. as as pop songwriters well more my favorite so than song they are on this record band. is a fucking pop and song through and through this is not a pop song here but it's still got it's still a pretty rocking little song um Hell or High Water. 
a bet to me i like this better than no 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 okay it, it sticks with me better than no 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 just because of how uh it's one of my favorite gene tracks on this album if not my favorite one overall I'd, i think it's probably his to date best material or this is one of his better songs from any of the records i like this one but i think it flounders on the chorus yeah but yeah. they do that a lot we've talked about that in previous episodes that's it just seems a like problem they, they, they have work, sometimes they work and they get to the chorus and then they just don't know where to go with it but it's not too bad it, this is the part that that's bad. the part that's weak is Gene's just doing the gonna hold you okay. and then letting everyone else do it. I feel like if they had had more of the gang chorus or if Gene had something else to say during that part, it would have been cooler. Maybe a bit better with a different chorus, but the the verse part, I mean, it's deeply rooted in his Beatle hooks. You can, I think you, oh, you yeah. can't escape it. And it's like, but he does it in such a way that he has a, an ability. Like we talked about Paul being a stylist. Gene doesn't, isn't really a stylist so much, but he can take something. Gene's and, a chameleon. He can he can take like well he, he's 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 hard to dig him out of his beetle thing. If you listen to it, you'll start hearing that stuff. And this is a good example. It's like ordinarily you wouldn't necessarily catch that, but just the way it kind of the vocal melody is really what does it for me. But mm-hmm. he does it in a way that has a a sense of style organically that Paul can't achieve artificially. Yeah, right? in this era. Yeah, yeah. Paul's done it really well. But we talked about it on the last album. It's like it's just, or well, we talked about past few records. We talked about crazy, you know, crazy, or uh, I fight hell to hold you being kind of a copying of mm-hmm. of what was going on. And there's another example of that later on, but we'll get to it. Well, um, the next track, my way. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> What the fuck is this shit and why? <laughs> Again. Wanna talk like I talk. Walk like I walk. That's the no, only part that sticks with me. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do-do-do, do-do-do. This could be Rocky IV. <laughs> or maybe Footloose. It's a montage. Do-do-do, do-do-do. Again, this is just Desmond Child written all over this too, especially on that minor uh, intro in the verse. Would this have been? Would this have worked for anybody? No, this other than you Th- this know. really does. Like, I'd like this record and I like this in spite of myself because, again, it, this is the kind of cheesy I like. But if we're looking at like rock and good rock and roll song, no, this is not. But there's there is a cheese factor to this song. I really do like. I think. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. Yeah. And Especially think, like the verses, maybe the heat is on. I'm surprised that this wasn't. <laughs> and your back's against the wall. Is there, there's of a cheese it factor. It's, it's <laughs> Paul climbing that mountain, man. It's 80s pop cheese, it's, and it's. And, I'm and you know what? Rust? He's going to do him. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there's no His one. That, there's no. There's no woman that ever loved Paul as much as he's loved himself. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he's got a full standing, full length standing mirror with a glory hole in it, <laughs> so he can fuck himself. <laughs> that took half a second. He, he kind of reared back. He's so, like, Wait, oh, <laughs> so but for real. I mean, I I hate this song, but I don't understand why this wasn't pushed as a single because right. I could see it or maybe used in a movie maybe or... doing it but it, well, to because me, there's a few still, other better ones i mean you know I, I and i heard this and i had to go back we i made this joke before we started recording today i had to go back in my head to the movie boogie nights when dirk diggler singing you got the touch yep you got the power of course he's butcher butchering it and then i didn't know until after you know that was a reference 
that was a song from a Transformers ca- movie. From a cartoon movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, that's the level these songs are written yeah. at. Exactly. Or and Kenny Loggins or It's not good rock and roll music. This guy, Paul Stanley, has de- descended, declined, whatever the word is, that he's 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 just fallen. Another into Desmond this. Child co write too. He, and he sits there and goes, um, And Bruce Turgon. Yeah, I, I looked uh, I couldn't find much on him. Other so Paul wasn't with. the only one responsible for this. Yeah, That's a Desmond well, Child help too. He's more involved with. Uh, he got involved with Foreigner and Lou Graham, who uh, sang with uh, Foreigner as well. Yeah. Well, I you know we talked in the previous episode like what if Gene and Paul had been writing together? What would we have gotten? It would have been any different. You know, Paul feels like he's having to write this by himself, but in his mind, you've got to stop and consider that this is the material he thinks is going to put them at the same level as Bon Jovi and Def Leppard and Whitesnake. These bands are selling 12 million, 15 million copies of their records. 10, 12, 15. I mean, that's insane. You know, this well, is what again, he thinks is going to sell 12 million records. Well, it's interesting, too, because there's so many co-writes between, like, Paul and Bruce. And then, like, no, 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 is Gene, Bruce, and Eric. That's it. Like, they're the only people that wrote that song. So, like, all of Kiss wrote that song except for Paul. And that's, like, and the hardest track, lot, yeah. hardest track on the whole album. Yeah, and it's like, and Paul does a lot of writes with, like, Bruce. But, like, he, again, what you mentioned in the last episode, he does not do a lot of co-writes with Gene. And that's what's just interesting about it is Gene will write stuff with the whole band. Paul will write stuff with one or two members every so often, but never Gene or rarely Gene. Okay, side two. When your walls come down. Liar, liar, cut your pants on fire. <laughs> so here's what I picture. This, I listen to this, and I'm like, this is the first time I've listened to this album in over 30 years. Right. Okay? I, this is the last Kiss album that I bought with my own money. Okay. <laughs> so Never and, again. <laughs> and and I, I can, you know, now I listen to it, and I picture frat boys in polo shirts and backwards baseball caps driving Camaros with golf clubs in the trunk. This was frat music in the 80s. You know, this is their idea of hard rock. You know what I mean? They're yeah. not, they're not going to listen to, they're not going to listen to, like, Metallica, but they'll listen to Kiss. They're yeah. not going to listen to um, Iron Maiden, but they'll listen to Van Halen. Right. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. And to them, this is what they think is badass rock. We're talking <laughs> Sammy Hagar era Van Halen at this point. <laughs> I, I, I just, I'm just, I don't. It doesn't. It doesn't. It just does nothing for me. It did nothing for me when I was a kid. There's a reason why this was the last Kiss, because there was so much hype to this album as a Kiss fan because you waited two years for it to come out. You know they were going to get the right guy. This was going to be, you know, they they were. This was kind of sold as what they believed it was going to be. This giant record. This was going to be the return of Kiss, the comeback, the one. Now this is my least favorite on the record. And this is what we get. Yeah. yeah. No, out of all the songs, this definitely is my least favorite song. I do like the one little riff that's in the chorus. That that that's the only part I think yep. is cool about this song. Again, another Adam Mitchell co-write. Uh, next song, Reason to Live. You mean, uh, Is This Love by Whitesnake? It's exactly what this fucking song is. Hmm, I never thought of that. 
I don't listen to White Snakes. That's why I was being quiet. I'm like, I, I'm, I, I, will def- to- I will defer. Okay, <laughs> no, wait a minute. What which White Snake song is it they recorded in like 1980, 81, and then they came back and did a second version that was a big hit? Oh, the uh, was oh, it that? Fuck. No, no. That's something. That's a different song. Is this love? Is the very synth driven one? Was, there was uh, one you're was thinking of uh, uh, "Fool for Your Love" and "No More." I think that's what you're no, talking I think, about. I, well, that too. But okay. Well, I don't know. Either I, way, I don't hate White Snake. I just hated that era of White Snake. David Coverdale is a great fucking singer. He's one of my yeah. favorite '70s rock singers. Man, was there I, of Deep I'm, Purple? I've always preferred the David Coverdale Mark. Was that Mark III version of mm-hmm. Deep Purple? With Glenn Hughes, with me Glenn too. With Glenn Hughes to the, to the classic Gill and stuff. And I love the classic Gill and stuff too. But anyway, whatever. We're going off point. Yeah, this I can see that. I think that was probably heavily influenced by that. I, I don't, think so. I don't know, though, because I think it came out the same around the same time or the same era. You might be right. So I think that White Snake I think it was just a stylistic year. similarity. I don't know that one was would have influenced the other. It's a baby step above his formulaic montage music i think it's okay it works i guess to a degree like i said i think it's a better song i was gonna than- say the verse definitely feels a little montage with the uh the uh the synthesizer doing those two notes over and over the right boom, right boom. right that's very much main protagonist walking down the street deep in thought kind of vibes but the chorus is what the chorus is awesome i like the chorus a lot it's big it's a really strong paul vocal this works backwards than his normal song right right, right. Like he's <laughs> like a strong great, chorus he gets to set up and then fails on the chorus this has a bad setup but you know that chorus is okay it's not something i would listen to on the regular honestly it I like works what they, a lot better than what his other stuff has done on this i like what they do after the solo um but and they, they kick the, back into the another ver- change well no when they kick back into the verse uh, the chorus again bruce is doing extra guitar licks on top so there's like a little kind of hold throughs so those little moments kind of add to the chorus even more so no i yeah I, this was the song that earmarked as being the one to push over the album too really yeah they they thought this was the song no. that was going to make this the album I, I think it's still in a few songs i think that's the one well, they that's the pushed. one they, but that's the one they did right what's it's, your opinion you got an opinion still feels like it's a great you know from a songwriting perspective it's great but it still feels like it's a schmaltzy great. it's not great for, yeah, it's not great. It's it works for what it they're works trying to for do. What they're trying. But it still feels like small, just very like polished, right, you know, right. kind of neutered eighties, yep. yep. you know, synth. Oh, you know, it's valid. absolutely neutered, but it's still fun. I don't know, if, mm. it's like like a brand new shelter puppy dog, neutered but still fun. But it's but it's kiss. <laughs> no, That's it's the thing. Here. It's kiss. It's like oh, why? Come on, good girl gone bad. Meh song. Very gone meh. meh. It's very meh. I don't right, like this, this either. One, this is my note. This is all I'm going to say about it. It's hard to have any opinions on this material because it's just so boring. I just don't have. It's not. It's not interesting to me. It's not exciting. You know. It's just, it's just utterly I don't, forgettable. I don't understand. To me. I just don't. I have a hard time wrapping my head around what make what the appeal of stuff like this is to people. Like what it says about somebody when they come up and go, "Oh, Crazy Crazy Nights" is like their best album. Yeah, and I'm like, it's like I like it. What, but okay, it's not my what is favorite. it that? What do you, now you're telling me something about yourself? <laughs> you, I not, learned an I'm, awful lot about I'm you. Seri- <laughs> I'm serious. It's like, and I, I hate to judge people based on their musical taste, but you can tell the kind of people they are often by what they they really like. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I'm like, you know, I'm just like, really. 
And and you're the kind of guy that like watches like golf on a Saturday afternoon. Like, yeah, I can't imagine a more boring spectator sport. And I'm not a sports fan anyway. But you know what? I really am not interested in watching golf he's, or tennis. He's lining up for the putts. You know, it's like the guy that watches fishing. You know, what's the, what's the comedian is like, hey man, Bill I'm Dance- not even fishing. I'm watching fishing on TV. Hey man, Bill Dance is a national treasure. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, how would you like to be the guy to edit that show? Be like, uh, 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 no, 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 he's just baiting the hook. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think that was um, Brian Regan. Brian Regan, yeah. <laughs> but that's how I feel about this music. There's nothing about it at all that that gets me go you know it's like classic kiss the anthemic put we'll your fist P- in the air or even cl- any other good hard rock driving hard rock of the time you know but there's a lot of bands that are falling prey to this it's mm-hmm. not just kiss but some bands are able to work that to their advantage you got again we've talked about this bon jovi def leppard white snake they're getting huge or even hard at this time period. Even it worked hard. for them because of their aesthetic. Yeah, but you know, or but then you've got bands like Judas Priest and Ozzy that are going down, falling down the same trap, producing the same kind of meh kind of material at this time. Heavy mm-hmm. meh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sorry. See, I, I, I keep giggling to myself because one of the co-writes on here is Peter Diggins. And who? Well, that exactly. It's, it's a nobody name, but you know how stupid things will become memes and like trendy for a second. There was that was like a name used for something, and it was like not Peter Diggins. So that that's like the thing I'm thinking of now. It's like, God damn it, Peter Diggins, you ruined the song Dave, <laughs> with David Seegerson. I don't the know. other co-write, I, I don't know. probably the guy. We'll just blame Diggerson. Yeah, <laughs> Diggerson and yeah, Dig, Diggins and Sigerson. Probably the guys that actually wrote the song. Yeah, turn on the night. I love the song. Really, <laughs> I love the song. This is the song I feel like they should have led with. I. This was a single. Well, led with meaning mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. this is this album is called Turn on the Night. Like this Oh, yeah, yeah, I got you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it's like this is what they should have led with. This is the best foot forward. Out of everything on this record, it feels like it's the most thought through song because the vocal melody with the guitars work, everything kind of lines up. You listen to it from a songwriting standpoint. It's the most cohesive on this entire record. It's got a catchy chorus. The lyrics don't want don't make you want to like gouge your fingers in your thumb, uh, gouge your thumbs in your ears rather. Right. It's like so, especially after after dealing with stuff like no 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 and bang bang you lyric wise. This song's pretty damn good, and this I don't know. It's catchy, and I feel like this one really should have just been way more popular than it was. And this was unashamedly in a few of my like regular rotation playlists <laughs> paul's first co-write with uh diane warren if you uh don't know her name you've definitely heard her work yeah the, that's the queen of like mediocrity right there oh uh, like uh, if, what's if the you, uh, nothing's gonna stop us no she wrote, wrote that, that one they, she wrote didn't she write that big aerosmith song from that movie from armageddon she yeah. wrote the armageddon aerosmith yeah. song she also helped uh, with uh, if i could turn back time yeah. oh yeah there you go not exactly a lightweight yeah i mean oh no she's had huge giant massive hits 
but yeah. you, because I'm, you loved me from Celine Dion, and uh, we'll get to it. Sure, a, that was probably huge. I mean, I probably yeah. sold more records of that single. I don't want to miss a thing. Yeah, from yeah, yeah, that's what we, that's yeah, yeah, the yeah. one we're talking about. Say so, yeah, sorry, I was reading, and you know how sometimes if you're, you're reading, you're not distracted. Full. Sorry, I'm trying to help. But yeah, to that's me, why, though, to me, this sounds like a beer commercial. It does, though. Turn on the night. Bud Light. Bud Light. Exactly. I can't deny it. I can't deny it. You know, that and and Poison, who are going to be like super huge within a year. Mm -hmm. uh, They're already super huge, really. They came out of nowhere with that. Talk dirty to me. Talk dirty to me, which openly apes cheap trick mm-hmm. yeah unashamedly but they had a song called nothing but a good time yeah which is a kiss riff and it don't get better than this which was the tagline for a fucking beer commercial yep and it sounded like beer commercial music even when i was a kid i would look at it cynically because it just was bad it was bad music that was like <laughs> they're not even trying they're just it's the bro they're using beer commercial slogan they were the they were the bro country of the fucking 80s they were they were and then the uh, i'll like anybody who disagrees with me no i'm not saying you know but i agree with you i think all things being even yeah it makes sense what you just said that being even the title of the album Mm -hmm. all of that makes sense lead with that follow it up with crazy crazy nights Mm -hmm. because honestly that song feels like a second song maybe maybe that would have worked as a different strategy maybe that would have pushed this album i don't think so because i honestly i just don't think the reason why this album doesn't parallel these other albums they're trying to do is because it's just not as good simple plain and simple yeah absolutely it just isn't as good i think it's a fine song though despite all of the you know 80s cliches that come along with it it's pretty good 80s pop song closes out with thief in the night which another night also recorded by wendy o william wendy o williams we mm-hmm. talked about on the previous album um it just seems to me that Wendy O. Williams at this point has a better grasp of hard rock than what Kiss does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she's not as successful. She's not as, as successful as this is, but and it just I seems don't... like she has more, you know, and, and not to use a sexist analogy here, but, you know, because when I say this, I'll explain it. She has bigger balls than Kiss. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, sometimes had, the balls ain't the balls between your legs. Sometimes it's, it's standing on the balls of your feet. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I, there's a there's a. She commanded the stage. She was she had power and energy and charisma and intensity. I don't think her bands were that necessarily that good, especially in this by this point in this era. I think but the plasmatics she, were great. Yeah, well, I don't. Th- it's funny because in the plasmatics, I think there's a point where she wasn't that good of a front person, and she became a good front person. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. You know, it was just out of sync. If she had had that persona that she had by the that she had developed by this point, if she had had that with the plasmatics, maybe the plasmatics would have been a bigger thing. I don't know because the plasmatics is especially that first record is fucking killer. Yeah, great front to back. But what are you gonna do? Um, let's talk about for a minute here. <laughs> also, I want to add. Uh, there's no Alan Schwartzberg in sight on this record for oh, once. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> interesting to know. It's all Eric. Uh, some uh, unused song titles. Yeah. Well, real quick, Thief in the Night. I, well, I, I don't know. I don't like this one necessarily, 
but it's not like the worst Gene song. Like it feels like it's no, a moment it's not, he's trying to kind of maybe find his old persona yeah, I agree. I agree. a little bit. That's why I say I think Wendy O had a better grasp of this than, mm-hmm. than Kiss did. Yeah, but it's, it did feel like he was trying to find a little bit of his old persona and make it work with no makeup, like right. Thief in the Night. Okay, that feels like something Gene would Gene sing. Gene needed a persona. Yeah. I think Gene was a persona. That's part of the problem here is yeah. that they think they need these personas because they had them so deeply entrenched into them as characters in Kiss. But, but the they, persona but the is persona the makeup. Is it wasn't the makeup? The persona was the guy behind well, yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the you know, and they haven't figured that out yet, mm-hmm. and they're never going to figure it out ever, ever. No, okay. no. I feel like they did at one point. This is it. This is it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll wait for something like that. <laughs> ever. They okay. will never, we'll, 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 ever figure it out. We'll, we'll discuss that in we a few will. albums. We will. Absolutely, <laughs> we will. Uh, but I got. I got. I came across this, and I, I, I had such a good time seeing this. Okay. I have to note these unused songs. X marks the spot. Argy mateys. Here comes one. Are you ready? Uh huh. What goes up? Get it? Oh, oh, get oh, it. Oh, what goes up? That's not a, not, this that is some must, spinal tap wait a minute, ship. Must that's, come down. That, Ooh. That, that's not even my I, favorite you one. You know, you never know. That might have been the lyric. <laughs> <laughs> Dial L for love. I've heard yes. that one. Yeah, we talked about calling Doctor Love. That was kind of a dumb title. The whole thing, the whole thing of doc, calling Doctor Love was dumb, but it worked. It was so fucking good. This is the derivative. This of is, this is a, a yeah of something that really wasn't that good of an idea to begin with, but. <laughs> Are you ready? I like this one. This, are you always this hot? That's my favorite one, just because of how stupid. Ooh, girl, you always this hot. <laughs> no, the the one that takes the cake, though, the absolute. This is like this might be the bottom. I don't know. I don't know because we've never. Well, thank God we've never heard this. Scratch and sniff. <laughs> oh no! No, you can't make this shit up. No, that is I'm smell sorry, the, Kiss fans. That is no. smell the glow. You cannot <laughs> make this shit up unless you're Gene or Paul. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ! You're right. That is smell the glove. Scratch and sniff. Oh my god! Imagine if that had been like the name of the album, and they had a scratch and sniff. <laughs> For two hundred dollars on a panty, <laughs> on a picture of a girl's panty, <laughs> you know, and it, it, you don't have a, a Bobby Fleckman going, and you don't find this offensive. <laughs> you don't find this offensive. Everyone's house cat Gene loves Simmons this going. Uh, Gene Simmons of Kiss. Somebody's dogs just like, <laughs> what's wrong with being sexy? Everyone's, no, sexist. Yes. Everyone's ha- household cat is like obsessed with this album cover now. Yeah. yeah. Like, why, is the, why is the cats always going to the right? Christ. And you know, I can't imagine for a second that we're having this conversation as a joke that the exact same conversation was held for the exact length of time only Being in all serious. seriousness. Yeah. Like, guys, what if? Like, the but listen, album co- what if we made the album cover and it was like a picture of a girl's panties, but you scratched and sniffed it? <laughs> it smells like my balls. <laughs> It'd be like Gene. goes, what if we had an album cover that had the girl's panties and you scratched and sniffed it? And Paul would go, I don't understand. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the, the cut to the Black Crows album cover with the... Which was an old, old 
cover from a Hustler magazine. Uh huh. With a little bit of like, a couple of pubic hairs hanging yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. They got in trouble for that yeah, too. Yeah, but it was you know it's whatever. Um, this was released on September twenty first, nineteen eighty seven. That is a release date. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was my birthday. So happy birthday yeah. to me! Right? <laughs> it's it's a shitty kiss album for you. It and was, again, I'm still amazed by like the fast turnaround times of this. Like it was recorded from March to June of '87 and released in September. Like that's a fast turnaround time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they were trying to get it rolling. Well, I, I mean, but know. this, this is like consistent fast, with that every record. It was mixed pretty quick, which is impressed yeah. because regardless, well, they're like, ready. I'm sure they had it scheduled and ready. Yeah, they, okay. these guys probably had a deadline, knowing okay, we got to get here. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was certified gold on November 17th and platinum on February 18th. So it has sold a million copies, but not 12. But it didn't sell the 12. No. This was regarded as a failure, really. Um. Huh. The cover had to give each member. Well, we'll talk about that. But it comes out. The cover, you know, Paul had the idea of it wanted it to be like a shattered glass effect. He said actually modeled after all his old guitars. Like he was looking at the guitar and was like, this would actually be a cool album cover. And But everyone had to have an equal space. Yep. You know. And, I, and I've actually heard interviews with the, um, the artist of that album cover. And they said that that was a painstakingly done process same thing with the guitars because they can't just like cut or at least the technology at the time and and available to these type of people you couldn't cut the glass well meaning like you know workshop people are you talking about well like independent artist types yes artist types and independent contractors not backed backed by big multi-million dollar companies with large professional machines um you couldn't get exact glass cuts. You could get it like super, super deep, but you still had to like break it and cut it in a certain way. So it's like to get all those pieces to line up, they had to literally like shave and carve down different spots and make it look organic shattered. Uh. They couldn't just shatter the glass because if you shatter it, mm-hmm. you get a million tiny little pieces, exactly. especially directly in the center. So that shatter is completely man-made. And he said the amount of cuts and blood that they had to clean up from either the guitars and this album cover just to make it look right was ridiculous. How <laughs> And, be, and, but then when you come up with it, it's a mediocre cover. <laughs> like all that hard work. That and hard then work, it just doesn't, I don't know. I mean, it's not that bad of a cover, honestly. I never thought it was that bad. Um, you're moving into the CD it's better era. Than, it's and better it's than less, the other. Huh? It's better than Asylum. Oh, by far. Yeah, <laughs> so it's at least that. But I don't know. I, I agree I just, with that. I, but, you know, album covers that are seemingly aren't as important as they had once were because Not it was the, the CD cover. I mean, look at Slippery When Wet by John, bon, bon Jovi. Name an iconic. Well, that's I mean, a shitty album cover. Name an iconic uh, album cover from the late 80s outside of Appetite for Destruction. Yeah, there you go. That's a good mm-hmm. point. That's a good point. And, and I, I think that's I'm only a, so popular because it was so simplistic and bold looking. Well, that wasn't even the, the original album. Cover. No, there was yeah. no yeah. album cover. It got shoved on the inside. It was a, a Robert Williams painting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But whatever. Um, the back cover seems to be of two photo different photo sessions because Paul's is a little bit different. If you yeah, look, it's the got coloring, a deeper red. Which makes me wonder if Paul did a solo photo shoot just on his own for whatever God knows reason and really liked it and was like, well, I want this to be the back cover photo, but we got to get, 
you know, a cohesiveness. So they recreated it as best they could. I don't know. Well, the thing is, is you, you brought that up before the show and I'd never really thought about it. But here's the thing. I'm looking like okay. So for for listeners that don't know what it's, it's one a of the deeper thi- red kind of a background. Yeah, but one of the things I do is I do a lot of Photoshop and editing. So it's like I can I look for tiny little details that sometimes people don't immediately think to look at, mm-hmm. and sometimes those are like shading on faces, the way the hair contrasts into different portions of other colors on the skin and on the clothing, because that can sometimes denote airbrushing and touching up. When you look at Paul's definition and the amount of contrast used on his body versus Bruce that's directly underneath him, it almost looks like a completely different camera was used. Uh, that's what I'm saying. I think it's and, a well, that's what, but so I'm just saying. But that's what like really kind of sparked me on that because I never looked at it that closely. But well, ever I'm since you brought up just the what? Well, well, ever since you just brought You've up the just red really background, really liked looking at it closely. I looked at Bruce. You, look at, you wanted to look at Paul. <laughs> Lies. So close. Now, well, what, but, but I find it interesting though because Paul's is kind of seductive. Well, so he, that would be an interesting like giving us a panty flash. Here? Yeah. And his panties are fucking yeah. G-string panties. Uh-huh. And that's what kind of even... wearing panties, y'all. And that's what kind of leads me to even agree with you further. This seems like a personal photo shoot from Paul. Yeah, I, you know, or maybe from an unreleased home video. Just I don't know. The ha- just the <laughs> I'm just, hairiest. I'm being obnoxious. I should Because everyone else... Everyone else seems kind of band related, like, right? That's what I'm saying, and it's and it's 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 more of a brownish hue. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know. Who just, knows? Just I just, uh, just the hairiest abs of all time, too. And Paul's trying to be like Easy the cap. sexy rock guy. guy. <laughs> yeah. All of this is all of this has been calculated to try to sell as many records as they possibly can because they're trying to become as big as Bon Jovi, mm-hmm. and it becomes you know Chris Lent writes in his book. It was almost a joke that the mantra in their office was, "Did Bon Jovi do?" it Ugh. did bon jovi do it did bon jovi do it yep because kiss are clearly in 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 explicit we've talked about this they're just absolutely following at this point um however they put the now they're putting together their tour and they're putting dates on sale for a tour mm-hmm. and it's becoming apparent as you go into october that this is not going to be what they thought it was going to be starting to get flashbacks um the initial shows are put on sale and do poorly and the band decides nope we're not touring they really? cancel their tour briefly or they talk about canceling yeah and howard marks is the one who says uh-uh no 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 <laughs> you're gonna go out there gonna and you're go gonna dance there. monkeys <laughs> and you know the tour is put together featuring a new stage. It's a very scaled back production from their previous runs. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it retains the big 20 foot logo that they had on the asylum tour. We talked about in the previous Cause episode. good Lord, you can't get rid of that after spending all that much money on yeah, that. Thing. I like that. I still like it. I've told, I talk about it again. I, I, I really liked it. I thought that's the one update that, that, that they could benefit from it. I did like the fact that it was huge. Yeah. It, 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 it really made up for it made a, a lack statement. Of a back, yeah. For the lack of a backline, but the, what they have now uh, for their uh, backdrop is a semicircle ramp. Mm-hmm. It's very, it's just a very boring stage. It's very plain. It's very gray. Yeah, it's not very bright. I want to say it retained it's that. Dark. I think they retained the uh, lightning bolt stair rails on each side. Yeah, 
It's missing um, a few bulbs on it. <laughs> <laughs> there is, for the first time ever, an auxiliary musician hired to play with the band. His name is Gary Corbett, a keyboardist named yep. Gary Corbett. It's behind the curtain. And he is not on the stage with the band. He's hidden off stage and plays anonymously. But his deal is also to you know to fill out the sound and is also to trigger sound effects to try to make up for the scaled back effects that they yeah. got. Yeah. So so this was the beginning era of the thing that I've always had a problem with. This is and they've kept this all throughout the rest of the years. They just haven't really talked about it. This was when they started pumping out bomb noises mm. and extra crowd noises mm. through the PA. See now, did they do that crowd noise? I, I know for a fact, at least the bomb noises. I saw this tour. Mm-hmm. Well, I was just saying, even like the tour I saw, it was that Motley Crue Kiss tour. Mm. Even on that one, they were I, my head was like right next to a speaker column, and they were still pumping the bomb noises. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, well, and that that just felt weird. And this was before the whole Paul Stanley lip syncing thing. This was years before it. Maybe it definitely was. Um, and, uh, hearing his vocal performance, it was definitely before Paul's lip syncing. This, this tour commences on November thirteenth in Jackson, Mississippi, which is where they ran their, uh, I guess, their stage production and everything. That's pretty. That was pretty standard for all their tours. They would take the arena for a week to do, yeah. uh, to you know, fine tune the show. And, and they actually did a little preview there. show uh, August 8th. Uh, that was the day that they were recording uh, the Crazy Nights and Reason to Live music video. Oh, yeah, yeah, and then uh, yeah. afterward, they yep. did like a little three song set, which they also brought back Won't Get Fooled Again as the outro. Um, White Lion is the opening act, but they split off within two weeks as their own popularity begins to exceed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to, to exceed about kisses, <laughs> which is pretty funny to see that you know. And I, I actually saw White Lion around the same time open for Ace Frehley on Ace Frehley's first solo oh, wow. run. That when and we'll talk about that a little bit. I think on the next episode, I was going to we'll, say we'll, we'll dip into. I don't want to dip into their solo stuff, but I want to. We'll 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 touch on that. I, you don't want to do a whole Fraley's Comet episode, Russ? I don't think so. I don't. Why either. not? <laughs> because I don't even like a whole Fraley's Comet album. Why not? Do you not hear the sarcasm in my voice? Yes, I know. <laughs> and I'm. Can you hear the serious in mine? <laughs> the answer is no. What about the Peter Christ? The Chris no. albums. <laughs> Man, I, I, we're doing this because I wanted to do this because I there's a lot of Kiss that I liked at one point and no longer like. There's a point in Kiss that I stopped liking them. I wanted to explore this beyond just the original lineup. That's the reason why you know somebody hit us on Facebook saying you if you guys hate the '80s, y'all probably should have just stopped at that point, which is a fair and valid point. And I I initially considered that the to doing it that way but then i thought no let's go ahead and track this out i want to just i don't want to just go that sucks i want to go okay that really doesn't suck i want to be able to say that yeah and we have i think on all of these albums Mm -hmm. we have been able to find something but it's not enough just to say something sucks i want to know why it sucked and be able to explain it and discuss Mm -hmm. it in detail so that's what really kind of what we're finding ourselves doing here it's not something i want to do i don't want to hate on these records but there's a reason why i don't like them and here's a chance to explain hopefully in detail why and why i think people are wrong about you know especially an album like this one you know 
it's fun to look even at. though that this album to me still stylistically and fundamentally is a lot closer to what classic kiss was in in its approach and i can see a line being again like i said drawn through dynasty done done mask two crazy nights bypassing all that they had done anyway that's a i'm going on a tangent the tour, tour <laughs> uh after white lion drops off on december 9th in erie pennsylvania uh, they pick up Terrible Uncle Ted. Which Terrible is Ted. Odd choice for 1987. Ted Nugent. You know? Ted Nugent, 1987, who also kind of followed the same route as Kiss. Had been pretty successful in the late 70s. Uh, and now his career is kind of on a decline. It's interesting, though, they take Ted because they have to pay Ted more than they would most opening acts because Ted's got a higher profile and yeah. more is considered more of a draw. But that's precisely the reason why they are willing to do it, because they want to add to their draw. It doesn't. I was um, going to say, it's not like he was having big hits in that time period either. Like this is even before damn Yankees with well, that. Resurgence. They had another problem from what I saw personally, we'll talk about here in a minute. He remains with this tour for the next three months, which is the majority of the tour. Um, the last show before the holiday break was at the Brendan Byrne arena, which I believe is their only New York city appearance on this run. Yeah. And no, I'm kind of taking a look through here and I'm not seeing any. I don't others. think they, they don't go back to Madison square garden. You would think that they would have gotten a been, you know, gotten that date off the success of the previous one. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. I'm seeing like Glen falls, New York. They draw a respectable Same audience thing. of 15,000, which is really fucking good. Uh, that would have been a sellout at, at Madison Square Garden, I believe. Yeah. Uh, Gary Corbett has let go as a cost-cutting measure. However, on January 8th in Chicago, who's back? Gary Corbett. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> we just need you off for a little bit. And then an important thing happens. On January 14th in Cleveland, Ohio, the band calls a meeting with Glickman Marks. Carl Glickman himself is unable to attend, but the principals of the of the corporation or whatever you want to call it is there. Howard Marks is there. Chris Lynn is there. Uh, David um, Weinbaum is there. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to touch on this more on the next episode, but Kiss are very unhappy with the way everything has resulted. Um, at this meeting... They, uh, Howard Marks sees the writing on the wall. Uh -huh. and he, he privately confers with uh, Chris Lent and says, you know, if we can come up with some sort of bogus play, he doesn't use that word. Right. But they basically try to come. He's like, man, if we can just show them a projection of earning a $5 million income over the next two years, mm -hmm. you know, that would really be good. That well, Let's do that. And so Chris Lent and Dave Weidenbaum start to try to figure out a way to cook the books to make it look like that's what's going to happen here. And that always works out yeah. well in everyone's favor. But it's beyond even a symbolic fix. So the group obviously feel as if they've been deceived and mismanaged, although the paperwork supports the truth. And they just never listened. Mm. And moreover, they are now neck deep into a tour with an album that is obviously not going to be the big major huge comeback that they had planned for 
I mean, successful, but not as major as they were Yeah, hoping. but this tour isn't even as successful as the Asylum Tour, which itself saw a decline in attendance from the Animalized Tour. Mm. Wow. Which is crazy because I don't know. I feel even objectively that this is a better album yeah, than both it, of them. It doesn't matter. It didn't work. Yeah. It, it, that's not what we're talking well, about. Oh, I know. Here. I know. But it's, it's still just like there shocking. There are Kiss nerds out there. They're like, Crazy Nights is their best album. Yeah, but guess what? It didn't. It didn't. Didn't do anything. It for just them. didn't do it. It yeah. didn't get them where they wanted to be. And of course, they refused to make any further cutbacks. And the meeting is adjourned with no real decision or progress made. Business as usual, and they hit the road, or they're back. You know, they're on the road. But, right. You know, on January 29th, they do make the concession of cutting Gary. Corbett, once again, <laughs> you're in and you're in, you're in and you're in. And they're trying to hold on to samples and stuff and have someone else do it. Yeah. It's like already like one of the, I guess one of the guitar techs or something. <laughs> so so he turns all his stuff up and, 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 and takes it with them. And they're like, Hey, we heard you fucked up all the key. Cause some of the keyboards are his and some of them belong to the band. Or yeah. Whatever, you know? And I, I think the story is, it's related in, I think it's in the kiss Alive Forever book. He says, they came and said, you fucked up the keywords? What's going on? He's like, no, it's my stuff. And if you want to use my stuff, you pay me to yeah. use my stuff. Otherwise, yeah. you know, and they, so and I guess they paid him to not use the stuff or, you know, whatever. February 7th, Charlotte, North yeah, Carolina. Yeah, that's what I was just Woo! about to say. I was waiting for the timestamp. <laughs> I was there. Oh, shit. Yeah. I can remember this show. So, so pretty Asylum clearly. didn't run you away. No, I came back for more because I'm stupid. <laughs> uh, this is what I can remember about that show. Um, I remember it being it was it was still festival seating. You know, mm-hmm. we went down, got as close as we could. Same time, same thing. This time, somehow between Ted's set and Kiss's set, we had gotten shuffled all the way over from one side of the stage. We we were on on the looking at stage. Stage right, I guess. Mm-hmm. So we went from one side to the other, getting without even trying. <laughs> Damn! By the because t- by the time Kiss got on stage, I was on Gene's side of the stage. Right. right. Um, but I, my memory of this is Ted just fucking blowing the fucking doors off Kiss. Really interesting. It was just, and, and Ted had the added bonus, at least at this this show, and maybe I don't know what the story is here. I should have researched this. I meant to. He had. Uh, uh, David St. Holmes with him. Oh, that sang on the original singer. and all that. Yeah. You know, every t- I have to struggle to say that name because I, I want to say Derek St. Hubbins. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is horrible. But, you know, and it, it was still kind of like, you know, it was still kind of cock metal teased a little bit, but Ted just was aggro, you know. Yeah. He just he he just threw the fuck down i mean it was badass mm-hmm. and i wasn't a big ted fan at that point but you were like damn and i was like yeah i was like guitar. god damn it's like, it's like and, ted, say what you want about ted and he's talk about rock and roll guitar players he's one performer. of them i mean well no later on he opened for kiss on the reunion tour and i thought he sucked ass yeah but whatever what, was it reunion or was he on the farewell whatever one it was yeah okay. whatever one of those tours right I, I, he wasn't as good, but no. this tour was really, he was really on it. I remember it being really good and kiss were good, but they weren't great. They played shout it out loud. That was a big, big thing for me personally, because I, of course I like that classic shit. Yeah. And when well, they, they played opened that with love gun, they opened with love gun, which was really weird. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember really being surprised by that. 
and then they played Shout It Out Loud. And here's another thing I remember from this show. We talked about a show they did in South Carolina on the Animalized Tour where a lighting technician fell from the light rig. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This happened again in Charlotte. Oh, and I can't find any information on it. I don't think the guy was seriously hurt. But he fell. I saw it out of the corner of my eye, and I wasn't 100% sure I saw what I saw. But I could see the people that were on that side of the stage and that you know could see you know, they were on the scaffolding. No, they were on the side of the arena looking down at the side of the stage. It was okay, kind of right. where the audience peppers out and yeah, yeah. You know, starts circling around behind the stage. They were all pointing. This is during their show. And a couple of songs later, I saw a paramedic on the stage and Gene was over off the side of the stage, like, you know, kind of behind the PA column or whatever yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. Know, where his base rig, his base uh, roadie guy would be and all that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there was a paramedic there and he walked over and he said something to the paramedic and patted the guy on his shoulder. And that was like out of view of most of the audience, but the view, it was still in view of the audience. So it's all, what it, you know, yeah. I've never been able to find any information about this. Interesting. So, but you know, a guy fell and whatever, blah, blah, blah. This podcast well, will spark interest again. Who knows? Well, yeah. something I wanted to make notes since we're kind of talking this about this. This isn't the same show where the guy got killed. This yeah. is a different show. Uh, something I wanted to make mention this since we're talking about the set list here. I feel like this is the first time and it becomes even more prevalent with uh, the next tour with Hot in the Shade, but this is when they start adding a lot more of the classics back Not in the yet. set. They do towards the end of this run. Mm-hmm. Right now, the only song that I think they played that was... Well, I've got a list here go of, uh, from uh, your show in Charlotte. Yeah. February 7th. Uh, it's Love Gun, Cold Gin, Bang Bang You, Fits Like a Glove, Tears Are Falling, Shout It Out Loud, War Machine, Reason to Live, Heaven's on Fire, I Love It Loud, Lick It Up, Rock and Roll All Night, Crazy Nights, Detroit. That's five songs from the classic era. Right. Out of, out of a 20-song set list. I mean, I would still kind of count War Machine. Yeah, I saw and, your and fingers. Like, you didn't like, count War Machine no, and I, I Love It Loud. No, yeah, you didn't I count Creatures. <laughs> but I don't count Creatures. I'm Sorry, counting Barry. all makeup. Okay, well, but most of those songs are still basically... You know, those were the, like the the hinge, the 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 linchpins or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, is Cold Gin on that list? Uh, let me get back to it. Yeah, I, I think it was. Uh, yes, yeah, I see. Song. Cold Gin was was pretty common. Did you knew they were going to do Detroit Rock City? Right. Love Gun was a surprise only because it was up front. The real surprise was Shout It Out Loud. Got it. You know, but when you talk about classic Kiss, I'm thinking of stuff like Got to Choose. Well, so here's the thing. So years, here's, or you know. Uh, I don't and know. And a deep just, cuts. We'll yeah. see here, but here's the set list well, from the tour. They, they had played once upon a time. Here's know. the set list from the tour before, though. Detroit Rock City, Fits Like a Glove, uh, All Night, Cold Gin, Under the Gun, Still Love You, Love It Loud, Tears Are Falling, War Machine, Love Gun, Rock and Roll All Night, Heaven's on Fire, Lick It Up. So there's one, one more, which is in that one more mm-hmm. is... Shout, Shout it out, it out loud. loud. That, therefore, that's the surprise. Right. They love All playing. those other four songs are the exact same songs that had been in their set list. Mm-hmm. Why they love playing fucking fits like a glove. See, now this is why we call it a Kiss Nerd Podcast. Exactly. Because who the hell else gives a shit, you know? <laughs> but that's why we're that's here, what, damn it. But that's what you're paying to see, really. I'm not paying to see him play fits like a glove. No, I, I no. fully agree. No. I fully agree. Uh, Columbus, Georgia, February 15th. Gene makes national news when he is arrested after playfully mooning a small part of the audience. Oops. 
which is in that same spot I was talking about. There's that spot over yeah, by yeah, where yeah, his yeah. roadie was, and there's only a small portion of the audience that that's visible to that they can see. And I guess I don't know if he's doing some sort of wardrobe change or whatever he's doing, but he turns around and he moons the audience. Oh no! I remember I've never read- heard about a story oh, of Gene getting yeah. arrested. He got arrested. I remember I thought, this because I, I know he. Of course, that's like just a night in the slammer thing. Get out the next morning. He, or like, I wasn't even probably that. He probably got arrested, and by the time he got there, they were already getting him out. But, but I'm still, sure. for the fact, I never heard any story about Gene being reprimanded by cops. That's yeah. just like whoa. Yeah, <laughs> yeah really. Moon the crowd. I know, right? Oh God, dude, we can't. <laughs> have, we can't have that down here in Columbus, Georgia. You rock stars just can't come down here and just bury your ass anytime you feel like it won't to. <laughs> Meanwhile, at 60 years old, he's wearing assless chaps on future tours. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. March 1st, Madison, Wisconsin, Anthrax take over. I know. What a act. shift from that, White Lion now to... That <laughs> is an opener for this band. Good God. That's kind of a weird pairing, but we know Anthrax are major big Kiss, Kiss fans, fans, so that was probably a big deal for them. Yeah. Uh, and they were their star was on the rise there. They are considered part of the, what they call the Big Four. Is that right? Yeah, the Big Four yep. and Thrash Metal. Which I'm not a fan of Thrash Metal, so I don't know. I, They're big. I never liked, <laughs> I never liked Anthrax. I, never, I remember listening to their covers of Kiss songs in, I guess, somewhere in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And that just that guitar sounds like the worst guitar sound in the fucking world. Like it's those Jacksons. Who likes that shit? You know, it's like it sounds like just doesn't even sound like a guitar. It just sounds fucking terrible. I've never liked Anthrax. And that guy Scott Ian. I enjoy him a good bit. That guy Scott Ian seems like a cool motherfucker. I'd like. Mm -hmm. I could probably hang out and talk shit all night long with him. But you know what? Is that beard? The band fucking top five. Top five most fun live bands I've ever seen, though. Like, honestly, like Cap and, I, Cap and I saw them uh, opening for Motorhead, and that was like one of like I think it was like the last like three or four shows before Lemmy died, and uh, we we were at that show here in Charlotte, and Anthrax. I, I feel like you might back me up here, Cap. Was almost as good as Motorhead, but like in different ways. Right, like, I understand what like, you mean. like yeah. Anthrax just had this energy I, I and like it. thing, but I've, then Motorhead I've, came on stage, and like when you saw Lemmy, <laughs> well, like the room got cold. Power. Yeah, it was just like, oh shit, there's God. Well, I, I, I relate, I relate <laughs> it much. to having seen Poison. I'm not a Poison fan, but I saw Poison blow David Lee Roth off the stage in 1988. Damn, I can see I mean, that. It, it, it was what it was, you know. It's yeah. like, I'm not a fan of their music or whatever, but as a show, they were they were they were a good live band. Whatever, blah 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 blah. Anyway, March third, nineteen eighty eight. This is an important date. This is something that really really should have been the center part of this episode, and we'll talk more on the in next episode about all of this. I think I think we'll just reserve the next episode to really look at all the ins and outs of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, from a, I guess a early version of a cellular phone. I might be wrong on this, but the way I understand it, they're on a cellular phone in the back of a bus. Kisses touring by bus, not by jet. <laughs> like they're it's them getting the antenna out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And they call Glickman Marks. They call Howard Marks directly, mm-hmm. informing them their partner from the very beginning. Howard Marks has been there the whole run. Thank you, but. Your services are no longer needed. Mm. This we've said this a million times on this episode. Yet again, another end of an era. Yeah. Uh, they have uh, retained their lawyer, Paul Marshall, and little else. They fire their publicist. They fire everything. Maybe they, they clean house. Yeah. 
management is taken over by a man named Jesse Hilson, who mm-hmm. was Paul's psychiatrist. What? What? Yeah. The <laughs> fuck? <laughs> I remember reading this revelation like maybe about 10 years ago and just being like, wait, Paul's psychiatrist's therapist is now the manager of the band. That there has to be like some. I don't know. I, don't, I, I, well, I feel. You know I what? feel like I'm going to talk very ignorantly here. But is there, there like some sort of law against that? I don't know. We'll talk about it in the next episode. It just feels like there's we're like gonna, some sort we're of explore like explore all some, that to a greater degree on the oh, next yeah, episode. Yeah. But you know, because that fascinated me. <laughs> this is symbolic on a lot of reasons. You know, again, because they feel like they've been misrepresented again because this album is not the big grand comeback album they thought it was going to be. I mean, again, all of this leads back to the fact that this band shouldn't even be existing right now. And I don't, you know, some of the decision-making, especially in this era, is really going to be some head-scratching shit. But yeah. we'll, we'll do all that head-scratching on the next episode. Yeah. So that's my teaser for the next episode. <laughs> Let's finish out this tour. March 31st, the Forum in L.A. Mm-hmm. canceled. Ooh. Oof. Uh, however, from April 16th to the 24th, they toured Japan for the first time in 10 years. Mm-hmm. This is where the set list is really altered to include much more of the classic 70s material. And if you want to dig that up and look at a set list for that, you can yeah. see how much. Let's go with Castle Hall and Osaka, Japan. Osaka. And speak in this tour. Speaking of classic stuff, you see a lot more uh, hints at classic era uh, things like uh, Gene's bass. Uh, decal is a picture of his face it's with not, the demon it's makeup not a on. Decal, it's painted. In or the yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. They, yeah, it's more of an embracing of that for the first time. Oh, that's well. So that that's where I'll kind of want to lead in with this. Okay, so then yeah, this set list has Love Gun, Cold Gin, Bang Bang You, Calling Doctor Love. Skip all the bullshit. Okay, 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 skip, okay. Just get the makeup. <laughs> I stuff. just want to so give the whole set list. Do- no, but Calling Doctor Love. Oh yeah, Calling Doctor Love. You're not including War Machine. No. Uh, Black, Diamond, Black Diamond. I was made for loving you. Shout it out loud. Struttered rock and roll night. Detroit Rock City. That's so they played like a big chunk of the classics that's right nine at the end. Songs. That's, yeah. That's a, yeah. So on that note, though, so as I as I personally teased last episode, that it felt like they were kind of embracing a little bit more of the '70s era. When you watch the uh, Turn on the Night music video. There's a lot of clips of the audience in kiss makeup and holding up like the alive two sign, like the look, you know, what's what I'm talking about. Uh, the insert, no, sorry, the back of the book has the crowd shot of all the confetti and the guys. It's it's the inner sleeve. Okay. Yeah. So the inner sleeve of it is like a red and a hand thing uh and the hand holding up the sign in the back. There's like a replication of that sign in the crowd. I don't recall that, but that surprised me. So, so there's like a lot of little nods now to where it feels like they're starting to embrace their original makeup era again. How's Mm -hmm. this an embracing June 26th at the limelight limelight club in New York city. Paul and Gene attend a Frehley's comic gig mm-hmm. and then join him on stage for an encore of Deuce. Gene doesn't play. He only sings. But yeah. that's, that's uh, you know, that's where things tuning. start. Everyone, that's where the that's rumor where, mill but, started. But see, that's where, and that's the, 
and and see here's the thing though this has to be frustrating because they're trying to rebuild this new model kiss and they can't and, and now the question is going to be from this moment on this from this exact date <gasps> when, mm-hmm. when are you guys getting back together again yeah no one gives a shit anymore about fucking anything they do because i don't think there and was they're a- not going to give a shit about the next album they're not going to give a shit about the album after that even though there's diehard kiss fans that love these albums doesn't fucking matter well, no we- one gives a shit what they want when are you guys getting back together again? Well, yeah, because it's like I would listen to I've listened to like a handful of interviews from each era, you know, just kind of getting a feel for how even the band is talking about themselves around now. And they would every so often get asked, you know, have you heard from Ace or Peter lately? You know, what do you think of their current projects? From this moment on, though, is when you started hearing the, well, uh, in other places, there seems to be a lot of rumors about a KISS reunion. What do you, what do you guys think of that? It's the first time they're going to really start getting asked specifically about reunions. Reunion. And, and this isn't 10 years after the... Not even! But it feels like it. And when I was a kid dealing with going through this, it felt like that was an eternity before. Yeah. You know, but I I guess because of your perspective at that age is only so far. But to be 16, 17, whatever I was in this era, you know, it just seemed like an an impossibly long time ago. They had been without Ace and Peter forever. Um, They do an odd pair of dates at the Ritz in in New York City on. The 12th and 13th exclusive club dates. I don't understand what the reasoning or rationale is behind this. Other, The only thing I can figure is they're looking at the prospect of having to play clubs, and they're probably just exploring what the logistics of that would be. That's, That's yeah. the yeah. only thing that makes any sense here. Why would they do this? Um, but they go to Europe after this for a two-month run. They didn't do a European tour for... Asylum. All no. the asylum dates were all in North America, and that mm-hmm. was it. I don't even think they did Canada on the nope. all yeah. all U.S. territory. Uh, they've got Gary Corbett back. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> welcome back! Welcome back! Fuck you guys. Uh, they play the uh, Castle Donington Monsters of Rock Festival, and that's when you actually see the motherfucker. They they put the camera on him a few times. Is he, oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> I remember seeing that footage. There's like clips of them like zooming in on him playing keyboards, rocking out on that. Keyboard. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, they're sandwiched between Megadeth and David Lee Roth. Iron Maiden is the headliner. This is not ten years after Iron Maiden opened for Kiss on their. First major European tour, Maiden's first major. Yeah, tour. yeah. Um, also on the bill are Guns N' Roses and a band called Halloween. <laughs> That's Hel- the obscure one. Halloween. Yeah, they're still a band. I think. Hell-oween. This is a band called Halloween. Oh man, don't get the uh, metalheads, uh, the the diehard metal fans, all wired up. They'll at you. They'll at you. Halloween. <laughs> Halloween. Hell. Halloween. I think this might get it. It's like Halloween, but it's, more it's evil. It's like Halloween, but it's Halloween. <laughs> Not <it's> Halloween. <laughs> but I don't think anyone is saying hello to Ween. <laughs> I like Ween. It's, it's hell, like hell. Halloween. <laughs> is this the Donington where uh, Guns N' Roses had the riot Yeah, too? this is where two people die after being crushed during Guns N' Roses set. But Guns hey, N' no, Roses this is only, another band that's No, this poised. only happens at Astral World, current day. Yeah. <laughs> this is another band that's poised to f- surpass everybody's everything. Yeah. 
And Kiss has a chance. Paul has a chance to produce this band and don't. Because he gets and all now, he gets all you know, miffed by some comment slash made yeah, or something like I don't, that. Who knows? I, you know what it is. They're, they're it, wanting to make Paradise City. He They played a demo of Paradise City and Paul was recommending like a whole lot of like extra keys than what actually showed up in the original and they're like, yeah, no. And apparently that's what caused the big rift. And knows? that's part of the reason Slash has a problem with him because he was trying to cut his guitar parts and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah too bad Paradise City, you know, never became huge or anything yeah, like exactly. that. Yeah, no. exactly. Should have listened to Paul. <laughs> Guns N' Roses always struck me as being a derivative version of Nazareth. Or like <laughs> Hanoi Rocks is a little bit more, of that. I always more like Nazareth to me. I, that was my impression. I remember when I first heard Guns N' Roses, my first thought was they sound like Nazareth. Mm. And they I cover, wasn't really a big Nazareth fan. They cover Hair of the Dog on yeah, the covers but, record they but did. But at the end of the day, it was the same. It's just like Poison reminded me of Cheap Trick. Yeah, I'm going to listen to Cheap Trick. <laughs> <laughs> Guns N' Roses remind me of Nazareth. I'm going to fucking listen to Nazareth. Yeah. I still love the Appetite. Every, a lot of people do. I think it's yeah. an overrated record. Mm, that's that's, gonna, that's gonna cause there more heat. There's than there's 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 <laughs> I think it is a overrated record. Is it, it's a it's a decent record, but it's not a great record. Well, this has been a great run of episodes. <laughs> yeah, time to turn. I already see the red uh, laser light on Russ's forehead. <laughs> hey, uh, well, I'll debate that with anybody. September fourth at Tilburg, Netherlands, is rated in or is uh, related in Kiss Alive Forever. Story goes, the decision is made to cut the drum solo. Oh, no. This, of course, hurts Eric's feelings. I just wanted to relate this story because I thought it was so amusing to me because I have done this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I know where this story is. Yeah. So I guess to help make him buoy his feelings the day after the show, Bruce, Gary Corbett, and the sound guy Night Bob, who's a legendary night or night guy, legendary sound guy, <laughs> yeah. the legendary Night Bob, who in and of himself is a treasure trove of stories. Um, I've got a Night Bob T-shirt because yes. I'm Mark, right? And I, you know what? He was running sound at the last Ace Frehley show I was at, and I forgot to go see if I could try oh, to talk to him. Oh, well, anyway, they get Eric Carr high. <laughs> one of the local Ashtons, I guess the uh, muffins, you know, the space yeah. muffins, whatever the space cake, whatever they call it. And, you know, he eats some and being inexperienced in this, I guess he believes he will die if he attempts to eat or sleep. Oh, no. They're like, eat something else and you'll come down. No, if I eat something, I'll, I'll, I'll choke to death and I'll die. We'll go to sleep. No, if I fall asleep, I'll never wake oh, up again and bastard. I'll die. <laughs> Sweet little Eric. <laughs> Poor Eric. I wonder if this is the same trick because Gene said that he's only been high once and it was because he had a hash brown. No, that, yeah. was, that was in the 70s. It was, okay. Yeah, they did that to him in the 70s. Okay. I was going to say, that'd be fucked up if that was like the same night both of them were like, ah! ah. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't get paranoid when it happened to me. I just got fucked up beyond comprehension <laughs> and could not function. Somehow I managed to function. I don't remember much about it. But whatever. I still it's, want to when you brownie. eat it, apparently it 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 it, it, it metabolizes differently yeah. and makes yeah. you way more high. <laughs> and I don't do drugs, so no. I don't know. But this one time I ate this shit like a dumbass and I ate way too much and I was fucked up for two days. <laughs> so I I have complete sympathy for Eric Carlos. 
And I think it's funny that he goes and confesses his sin to Paul and apologizes. Oh, <laughs> like, poor guy. And, and Paul would not have even known about it because yeah. they had like time off between shows and this happened. But he just felt so guilty he went and confessed anyway. You know, I gotta go tell Paul. I need to go tell the you boss. Know? So Paul starts to take uh, calling Gary Corbett the pusher man. <laughs> oh, look, here comes the pusher man. I, I said, God damn. Yeah, really. Well, see, I thought this was all going to lead into this was the tour in which Eric started getting a little cold toward Paul. Yeah, he yeah. got that's the, the other thing that's interesting about this is, you know, he got it, and Paul's like relates it. And again, this is Paul's version is yeah. like, you know, he couldn't get over the fact that he was the replacement drummer. I think it's because you even just now cut a solo, man. Yeah, I think. Well, I mean, I think they they treat him like shit. They they bring in a guy to, to overdub his drum parts. They mm-hmm. they've cut his solo. I don't know. I mean, it's like I think they don't really give him much consideration at all. Yeah. And why should they? Kiss is a duo. It's Gene and Paul. We that's just the truth of it. And it's gonna. That's what I think is gonna piss. Kiss nerds off is I'm going to keep relating to the fact that Kiss is a duo. They're not a band. They're a duo. They're a well, duo. I mean, they, they, they are a duo. They admit it themselves today. Even they're like Kiss is Gene and Paul. Yeah, it's I just mean, a duo. I know mean, actually, when anyone was, else they can do any anybody can take those spots. Anybody. Well, it's like they're completely even inconsequential. McGee. And here's the reason why we say that is this this kind of episode right here where Eric gets his feelings hurt because he knows he's inconsequential. He's mm-hmm. totally expendable, and in any minute. He can be gone, just oh, like that. Oh, yeah. And no one's going to give a fuck because Kiss nerds don't care. Well, and even Dot McGee on the Kiss Cruise, he had kind of like a little Q&A where people were able to ask like deep questions where he would actually have information on. And they were like, and anytime he had to talk like about different eras, he always says, look, Kiss is Gene and Paul. Yeah. Like he always says that. No so one, even yeah. Kiss's manager to the fans, they've even been kind of pushing that narrative. Like, look, get used adopt, to Kiss is Gene and Paul. Can adapt and adopt and 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 say that's the band, but they aren't. And, you know, these guys don't matter, and it's the thing you have to remember. Well, it's not they're that they completely don't they matter. Don't, they do absolutely do not matter. On paper, they don't matter. They don't matter anyway. They're we've already seen in the time since their willingness to make an abrupt change as as necessary. But anyway, let's wipe let's let's wipe this clean. Let's, <laughs> let's wind this up. Uh, on Belfast, Ireland, that's the last night of the Crazy Nights tour, and the last we really see of anything Crazy Nights. Kiss will rarely ever reference this album ever again. Nope. Despite it achieving a, pa- a platinum status, this album was seen as a failure because a million copies weren't the 12 million copies that Def Leppard, Bon Jovi, and Whitesnake were having. Uh, it was expected to be a huge multi-platinum album, and it came up just far too short. And has since largely been forgotten and overlooked by the band, with none of these songs being retained in their regular set lists. In the last 10 years, a sporadic appearance of the song Crazy Crazy Nights. That's yeah. it. I, think, I don't know if they do it in America. I think they do it in Europe as a concession to the fact that it had been a hit song over there. But really, this album may have never been done at all. And I know there's people that love 80s Kiss and they swear by this album, but it's a non-entity. And, and this actually, was real the quick, album that the- was supposed to be huge oh yeah and it was nothing it may as well never been recorded uh is it uh, over in england is spitting considered a 
positive or negative I think thing? It's positive in England. It was England. a positive thing. It was more associated to the punk thing in the seventies. Yeah, say. I know they tell the story that they got spit on. Yeah, because yeah, I don't, it says the final Ireland, show of the Crazy was, Nights yeah. tour. Uh, toward the end of the show, Paul addresses the audience about spitting uh, because the band had been covered in phlegm throughout the show, quoting saying, "Everyone here likes to spit, right? Come on, you know you like it, right? If you want to spit, I want when I count to three, why don't you spit straight in the air and see if you can catch it on your nose." <laughs> I, I don't have an opinion on that either way. I've never had to experience. Well, I was just that. wondering I, if I that was like an audience negative reaction or no, like. I, I, think, I, I think it's just, a positive it was thing. Sort of a positive thing. Yeah. Did you read a, I don't know. Back to Guns and Roses. Did you read Slash's book? He laments that too. When they toured in Europe, they got spat all over because they loved the band too. That's okay. a, that's I was, so I was just checking before yeah. I fully delved into that so one. I, but, um, you know, the band's in a lot of trouble financially off of this thing. They're mm-hmm. in a lot of trouble financially anyway. Uh, we're going to outline that on the next episode. We're also going to see that they're in trouble musically because they're going to kind of tuck their tail between their legs and put out a, a curious, quote unquote, greatest hits package. But they're going to add some new material. And remix a lot of it. And remix yeah. some older material and try to update and upgrade whatever. But there's a lot going on here. Their management is changing. Their financial uh, whatever is not changing. <laughs> and you know what? I think there's one pivotal thing that happens that we're going to talk about next episode that may have been Eric Carr's final mental straw. Yeah. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. fair. And uh, we'll explore all that to greater degree on the next episode. So hopefully you guys will join us as we continue this this roller coaster ride now to the eighties. All yeah. right, this, this these crazy crazy nights. <laughs> so for uh, Alex and Cap, I'm Russ, and this has been No Time to Turn. Good night. Thank you for listening. Please insert another coin by supporting the show for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash somethinggoodnetwork.